We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. week's worth of games in the books uh we'll, we'll complete our first full week tuesday night but we're recording prior to tuesday night's games uh, so we'll recap tuesday night's action later this week uh, i'll be sitting down with james on wednesday you'll be recording with ken and shannon on thursday uh, so we'll make sure everything is covered heading into the new year i i would i think we should probably start with john morant and the memphis grizzlies um never a good sign when a player is being wheeled off the court in a wheelchair Although I was I was watching uh, NBA TV with some friends last night and we were saying like or at least I was saying I don't think wheelchairs really scare me as much anymore post Paul Pierce. Like if anything it's almost like it almost gives me a ray of hope. It's like I'd rather you be on a wheelchair than like on your teammate's shoulders not putting any weight on it. 
Um, and lo and behold, John Moran only out three to five weeks, which based on how that looked, uh, I, I think this has to be kind of a win for Memphis. But in a condensed season where you're playing four games almost every week, I mean, we're looking at over a quarter of the season that Morant will likely miss. And this was a team that was already pretty shorthanded with John Morant playing, you know, arguably uh, the best basketball that we've seen out of him. And, and, you know, looking like he might be one of the best guards in the league. And without Jaron Jackson, it's really, really bleak going forward, I guess, with the exception of Kyle Anderson. Uh, yeah, Kyle Anderson is apparently the second best player on the team. Um, yeah, you're right. This is it's it's pretty bad for Memphis. I don't really think they stand much of a chance without him. I mean, they're they're well coached, which will get them relatively far. But um, you know, I looked up some of their like lineup stuff without Morant. Like 104 possessions without Morant, they're minus 21. I think net rating. Um, you know, with with him off the court, Dylan Brooks takes 22 shots per 36 minutes, which will be a complete disaster for anybody interested in watching Grizzlies basketball. Yeah, this is this is going to be a real test for Dylan Brooks. Um, I, <laughs> we might see some things that we don't want to see. I, I think there's we may see like a 22 three-point attempt game or like a 35 field goal attempt game out of Dylan Brooks, partially out of necessity because even the guards that they have available to replace Morant – you know, Tyus Jones played 35 minutes in an overtime game last night and didn't even score 10 points. You know, he's not a score first player at all. He's a, a really a defensive point guard more than anything, kind of a game manager. So it's not like he's going to come in and all of a sudden just take 20 shots a game like Morant was. And, you know, you still have DeAnthony Melton, but he's been in COVID protocol for the last three games. He's going to sit out again on Wednesday. We have no idea when he's back. Grayson Allen has been pretty bad to begin the year for Memphis. Um, I think fantasy-wise... This is huge for Kyle Anderson, who, you know, like I joked, has, has been really, really good so far and, and has a past as a ball handler. So I, I think he's going to get some looks on the ball. But, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not exactly one of those situations where you say, OK, well, you know, this creates some opportunity for somebody else because the guys behind Morant are just really unappealing. Yeah. Um, yeah. From a fantasy perspective, it's just I, I assume Dylan Brooks was drafted in most leagues. So congratulations if you happen to have him. Uh, Kyle Anderson. I think he was on the way a lot of waiver wires, but it is probably picked up by now. And then other than that, yeah, you're right. It's it's Tyus Jones, who if you need assists, that should work. Um, before DeAnthony Melton comes back, but who knows if you know he's even gonna play a ton of minutes right out of the gate. And I guess you can take a chance on like Grayson Allen, um, mm-hmm. just for a minutes guy, but that's that's pretty risky. Yeah, I, I had Allen on a couple teams to begin the year, cut him immediately after one week, and have like now tail between my legs, gone back to the waiver wire, submitting <laughs> claims for him. Um, because, you know, like I said, even even with a few bad games under his belt, it's not like Memphis is just going to score 50 points a game for the next three weeks. You know, like they're they're still going to score. Somebody's going to have to score 100 points, um, and it's it's not going to be pretty. But I, I think bigger picture, the Grizzlies. I, you and I were pretty low on them. A lot of people were lower on them this year. This might be already the death knell three games in for Memphis. I mean, with Morant missing this much time, it, it's hard to see them being like anywhere remotely close to 500 over this next stretch. Yeah, I agree. I think I think they'll be they'll be pretty bad. They'll be lucky to win. Mm-hmm. I think a quarter, maybe a quarter of their games. It's it's just really bleak. They're going to get no offense. I mean, like I like I mentioned before. Without Moran on the court, their offensive rating is 94, uh, which That's is not good. It's god awful. That is not good. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull up their their upcoming schedule here. So they go 
Oh, boy. They're at Boston on Wednesday. That's probably a loss. At Charlotte Friday. Uh, then it's Lakers, Lakers, Cavs, Nets, Cavs, Timberwolves, Timberwolves, Sixers, Suns, Blazers, Blazers. So, That's I mean, you, you get the Cavs mixed, twice. Yeah. yeah, you get the Cavs twice. You get the Timberwolves twice. Those are at least winnable. Um, although without Morant, those become considerably less winnable. I, I don't know that they'll be favored in any of those games. I would say probably not. Uh, no, there's. I don't think they'll be favored in any game without yeah. Morant. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, so, yeah, that's Morant. Kevin Love also on the shelf three to four weeks. Uh, he played, I think, all of like nine minutes before hopping on IR for this year. So uh, not great news for those who who drafted Kevin Love, myself included. Uh, Larry Nance, I think, is the, the Kyle Anderson in this situation. <laughs> Larry Nance is definitely the Kyle Anderson in this situation. Um, he had an insane first game, Larry Nance. Did. He had like 30 fantasy points at halftime, I think, in the opener. Um, yeah, I mean, he's – and this isn't something that we're really guessing on, right? We've seen Nance come in before, play 35 minutes a game when Love is out and put up, like, pretty – I won't say ridiculous numbers, but, you know, 30 to 40 fantasy points a game. Yeah, I mean, he's always just been the odd man out. And with Tristan Thompson now in Boston, Kevin Love on the shelf, um, I mean, they started Larry Nance at small forward the other night. So, like, they're clearly trying to get him – opportunities and now you don't have to force it you know it's it's not the ideal way that you'd want it to come about but um i mean he could be a 30 plus minute per night guy for the next few weeks at least uh, i put up an article on the site today um just some observations news notes from the first week's worth of games um so we can kind of use that as a guide and and just run through a few things you'll be publishing something similar tomorrow um you know and these will these will be sent out to some of our partner sites as well so make sure you read those uh, wherever it's easier for you to find them what were your impressions of the Brooklyn Nets, who looked dominant in their first two games um, and then took a weird loss on, on Sunday night with, with Durant and Kyrie in the lineup? Then they sit both of those guys and lose again uh, to Memphis Monday night. Obviously not too much to read into in the latter game. Um, some horrendous shooting performances by guys like Torian Prince and, and Landry Shamit, who I think was 0 of 8 from beyond the arc. But um I get kind of a, just a reminder, I guess, of how the NBA works, where this team can just look incredibly dominant on offense. And then for some reason, the Charlotte Hornets are the team that slows them down. Yeah, I mean, they uh, the Nets, they they've been committing a lot of turnovers and they're I think they're committed the fourth most turnovers in the NBA, or at least as a percentage. And they shoot a lot of mid range jumpers. So they're obviously they're an amazing team. But when you turn the ball over a lot, and you shoot a lot of mid rangers that just inherently has a lot of variance in it and you can just have some nights where you look pretty bad um i think it's just that that's just that one's going to come down to ultimately a weird game right i think they're as good as everyone thinks they are yeah losing spencer dinwiddie probably for the entire season hurts them a little bit but he's also their fourth best player so it's not it's not it's not completely killer you know it'd be yeah. like if the if the bucks lost brooke lopez it wouldn't sink them entirely it's just it doesn't it doesn't feel good at the same time. I think I would argue this is maybe even a more substantial or less substantial loss, I would say, than, than Brooke Lopez. I think Lopez probably means yeah. more specifically to what the Bucks do. Um, you know, I, I think it would be like the Bucks losing like George Hill last year or something. You know, like a guy you definitely want, but a guy that you don't necessarily need. You know, if you if you would say one of Jared Allen, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie go down. I mean, it's kind of a weird way to put it, but like, I, I guess I would want it to be Dinwiddie out of all those guys. And I, I think in a roundabout way, 
this might be good for Karis LeVert, who you know was playing kind of 26, 27, 28 minutes through those first few games. I think now we maybe see him, one, move into the starting lineup, which ultimately I'm not sure if that's the right move, but he now becomes you know the the for sure go-to guy with that second unit. And and they were starting Dinwiddie at the two, but you still have him you know playing point with the second unit. So I think this means more Karis LeVert and less Spencer Dinwiddie, who, uh, I mean, I, I like Dinwiddie. Everybody seems to like him, um, but not super efficient. I feel like he has these games like once every couple weeks where he'll just randomly go for like 25 and 12. And you're like, man, this guy should be starting for half the teams in the league. And then you look and he's shooting 29% from three for the year. You know, he's just super up and down. Uh, never good to, to lose a guy like that, but I, I don't think this is a crushing blow for the Nets. And then the other side of this is, you know, I, some people I saw asking, you know, what does this mean for a potential James Harden or Brad Beal or whoever it might be type of trade? I don't think it really changes anything. I think I think Dinwiddie would be involved in that deal more for money than for anything else. So, you know, maybe his value diminishes slightly, but I, I don't think it really affects anything on on that front. No, I don't think so. And and you're right. I mean, Dinwiddie, he, he was kind of redundant in some ways with the other like creators on the roster. Right. You already have Durant, Kyrie, Levert. Um, and I think his his production is relatively replaceable. I know they got a good game out of Luabu Cabarro. You know, they still have Torian Prince, who one of these days will wake up. Um, and, you know, who knows? They got they got I mean, they have a pretty deep roster. Right. They should be able to make yeah. up for it. Um, and I don't really. I don't think it affects the, their trade market really, unless they were trading for another with another competitive team that would have wanted Dinwiddie for, you know, this season. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how many teams that really is. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That is why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when you placed your first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's ROTO, R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Let's move on to the, the or go back, I guess, to the Cavaliers. You know, we touched on Love and, and Larry Nance, but I, I think the the more positive non-injury storyline has been the backcourt, which, we you know, dating back to June, July, you know, when the Cavs were just kind of relegated to, to individual workouts, there's a lot of talk about Colin Sexton looking noticeably bigger, you know, going to play a more physical style um, and just kind of be a, a renewed type of player. And, and oftentimes you hear stories like that and it doesn't really turn into anything. But I mean, early on, he both he and Darius Garland and I, I think Garland has maybe been even more impressive, uh, look like they've made major leaps. I still have a hard time thinking that this is sustainable in, in terms of the Cavs looking like a, a competent basketball team overall. 
I think they're super shallow. I think, you know, Isaac Okoro, you know, already he's hurt. His preseason was probably a little bit of a mirage. Obviously you have the love injury. Like there, there's a lot of, a lot of negative things going on as usual with the Cavs, but um, I mean, both Sexton and Garland, um, you know, I think between them, they have five 20 point games uh, through the first three games, you know, so six total opportunities for that. Uh, Garland had 22, six and six on opening night, had 21, 12 and five with two steals uh, against Detroit over the weekend. Um, I mean, they've, they've just looked good. It, it's been surprising. I, I don't think anyone was fully out on Garland, especially kind of a weird rookie year. But um, I mean, suddenly the Cavs, whose roster I think was probably about as bleak as anybody's besides maybe the Pistons. I mean, they at least look like they have some future pieces now. They do. Yeah, I'm, I've been more impressed with Garland because of the assist numbers. Um, like, they're both shooting unsustainably. They're both over 50% from the field. Right. Uh, they're both over 50% from three. Garland hasn't missed a free throw yet. But, uh, you know, for Garland, 8.3 assists to 2.0 turnovers. That's obviously a great number. And they need him to be a point guard because Sexton is really just a shooting guard who's who is kind of moonlighting. Not I don't know if that's the right term, but he was playing point guard out of position. Um, you know, He's not going to continue shooting 67% from three, but yeah, um, it's for them. I mean, yeah, basically the the fact that Garland is not a bust is that's, I think that's the main takeaway from here so far. <laughs> he might, yeah, he might not even be good, but he's just not a bust, which is a huge right. step in the right direction. Um, I mean, the Sexton thing, I guess, is less surprising just because we've seen flashes of him putting up numbers like this. Um, and when you really dig in, it's like, he's still going to give you like, three rebounds and two assists on most nights. So it's a little bit empty, but uh, he has at least thrown up some steals, which is, which is the big thing with him because he was such a great defender in high school and in college. And it was one of those things that just really didn't translate at all. And that was really shocking. And you can still be a good defender without getting steals. But I mean, he is a, you know, on the ball in your face type of defender. Um, and, you know, the hope I think always was that that would, that would start to translate. And, you know, that's going to be something worth tracking. You know, we talked about Kyle Anderson, with Memphis been very disappointed in the start for Brandon Clark, who I, I aggressively targeted in a number of leagues. I, I suspect that I think he was limited with like a groin injury at the end of training camp. I, I think maybe that has something to do with this, but he has not been on NG, any injury reports. We haven't really seen any, you know, there hasn't been any talk of, of limitations and, you know, he's yet to play 30 minutes in any of their three games. Obviously the opportunity has been there and it, it just looks like, you know, early on, this is like the worst start possible considering the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I was, I, I'm with you. I think I was, we were on the same page in terms of him probably having a big year. And I think, I think it is just him coming back from injury. I don't, th- there's not really a, any other reason for him to be seeing like 20 minutes a game, basically. Right. So I think it, it's not clear because they haven't really come out and said explicitly like he's on a minutes limit or anything like that. So if you have him in fantasy, he's, I think he's a hold. Um, you know, and yeah. I think if he's not on your team, you might be able to buy low from some people who just don't have patience or the team's got off to a horrible start or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's spot on. Um, you know, who's not off to a horrible start. Nikola Jokic, 14 assists per game through three games at 18, uh, last night, uh, in, in their victory over Houston, 24 points, 14 assists, 12 rebounds, one and a half steals, one and a half blocks so far for Jokic. Obviously, some of that is very unsustainable. That's like double his assist numbers from last year. He was under 20 points per game last year. He, you know, he's not a like a massive volume rebounder for a player of his size. Um, so all those numbers will, will obviously come down to some level. But 
I mean, thinking back to this time last year, like Jokic got off to a, a pretty bad start by his standards through 15 or 20 games last year and then was awesome the rest of the way. I mean, I think if you if you take away that bad start last year, his season looks even better. And it's not going to be 24, 14 and 12 type of numbers. But I, I think it's very possible that Jokic maybe goes up another kind of half step this year just just by avoiding you know starting in a hole like last year. Yeah, he didn't have time to get out of shape, right? Since the season yeah, ended <laughs> so uh, so recently. So, yeah, I think I mean, you know, we know that he is he has potential to average a triple double. He's he obviously has that potential in the playoffs. He's always played really well. So, um, you know, and this team really has, you know, this is a more offensively tilted team than it even was last year. So I think I think they have to get up and down as much as possible. That'll lead to more assists for him, more points, more available rebounds. So, you know, he's not going to keep averaging like you. I think it's 14 assists a game or something like that. But um, if he was closer to a triple double, you know, this year than ever before, that wouldn't be surprising because he is still so young. Right. He's like still Mm -hmm. 25, maybe. I think that's right. I think because he's he's always on those those best players under 25 list. Yeah. He's got one more year to sneak in there. Uh, what if, what have your thoughts been on Jamal Murray and Michael Porter? I, I feel like Murray's been the same guy, and with Porter, I mean, it's definitely not Kyle Anderson level, but I, I think he's been off to a little bit of a slower start than we thought. Yeah, Jamal Murray, I mean, I I feel like we have high hopes for Murray every year, and then he lets us down in some way or just doesn't progress the way we thought he would, kind of like Donovan Mitchell, right, who's been putting up the same numbers like ever since he was a rookie. And Jamal Murray, he's just he's just shooting like poorly. I think that'll turn around, um, you know, his assist numbers are low. But with, with the Jokic controlling so much of the offense, not really much to expect there. Um, Michael Porter, I think, you know, this is about what we could expect from him, like on a per minute basis. It's just that he's only seeing 26 minutes a game. And, you know, some of that's just going to be like defensive issues. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just they they still don't <laughs> trust him on defense. And it's it's becoming a problem. I mean, I think like Michael Malone, any anything bad could happen to him and he'd walk into a press conference and be like, you know what, Michael Porter, you know, he was the guy, you know, he was the guy that made me slip on the ice yesterday when I was walking like anything. No, I, I totally there. agree. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think he hates having to give Michael Porter these minutes. Like we're not he we're really not there. At practice, but like I, I feel like there's got to be something going on that just like agonizes him. Yeah, any, anything bad could happen. It'd be Michael Porter's fault. So um yeah, I mean, if he can get if he can get 30 minutes a game, he'll be fine. Even at 25 minutes a game, like fantasy wise, he'll be fine. But um, yeah, they just don't. I mean, you know, they lost so much depth, and Millsap can only play so many minutes. So they're definitely thinner than they were last year. Yeah, I love bringing back Millsap on a basically you know much cheaper deal than he was on, and playing him more minutes than the year before <laughs> when they. I mean, it looked like he was almost done at times last year. He was playing like 18, 19 minutes. Now it's like, hey, we're bringing you back. We're getting rid of Jeremy Grant. We don't like Michael Porter. And yeah, I mean, it's they do have Jermichael Green. And I, I think that is going to help. And he's I think he's going to miss like a fifth straight game uh, either tonight or tomorrow um, with, with whatever he's got going on. But yeah, I think eventually that'll help. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if he kind of takes over for Millsap at some point. Uh, Anthony Davis, I would not put myself in the the worried category, although I went pretty heavy in redraft leagues with Davis this year. He has played 99 minutes and he's not blocked a single shot. He has two games of his three uh, in which he's attempted two free throws. He was two of two against the Clippers, one of two against the Blazers last night. Was pretty awful in that Blazers game. Really didn't do anything. 
Uh, the lack of blocks is is the bigger concern for me than anything else. He, he looked awesome against the Mavs on Christmas, 28, 8, 5, 5 assists and 2 steals on that one. Um, but two of his three games, he just, you know, it's it's been a little bit of a slog. I mean, it, it's not like he looks out of shape or anything like that. I, I guess I would chalk it up more to uh, just having to adjust to, to playing with Gasol and Harrell and, and a new set of guards, you know, as opposed to last year's team. I think that's some of it. And I think he probably has somewhat of a green light to take nights off while still like not actually resting. Right. Like I think, you know, we know about the restrictions that the league wants to put on rest and everything like that. And they, they, you know, they won the title so recently, such a short off season for them. So I think there are going to be nights. I mean, LeBron's already a master at taking like entire games off and still putting up, you know, 20 points, right? you know, eight rebounds and eight assists. Right. That's it's, but he's LeBron. Um, I think I think some of that is the case for Anthony Davis, where I think he's he's there are going to be some games where he's coasting and they can coast because Montrose Harrell is going to come out and play. You know, he's going to come out 100 percent every night. And, you know, Schroeder's he's there. Not, for he does not coast. Right. Exactly. So, you know, if he had a little bit of a down year, that wouldn't be surprising. I guess I'm just I'm not that worried in general. If, if you have him in fantasy, I, I would understand being worried for sure. Mildly worried. We'll give him another week or two before I officially sound the alarm. Let's go to the Warriors. It's not been good. They were extremely lucky to beat the Bulls, who I would say now, including that Warriors game, are probably the maybe not the worst team in the league, but the most disappointing team, the most frustrating team to watch in the entire league so far. They have just looked terrible on both ends. Uh, they had no business losing that game to the Warriors, who would, I, maybe are the only team that looked worse than Chicago through the first two games. And, you know, there was some luck involved at the end that Damian Lee hitting that that three uh, to essentially win it for Golden State. But I don't I don't think that's that's like a hang your hat type of win for the Warriors. I don't I don't think they felt any sort of relief beating that Bulls team the way that they did. I mean, they get absolutely smacked by the Nets in the opener and get beat possibly even worse on Christmas Day by the Bucks. Curry has not been great. Obviously, he's in a, a tough situation given the guys around him. Um, Kelly Oubre is 0 of 17 from three. Andrew Wiggins has looked much worse than last year. Draymond is yet to play. Um, but I, it just to me, it doesn't feel like okay. They'll get Draymond back on Thursday, and then now everything will be fine. Like I, I don't think they're. I, I'm completely changed my opinion on them. I, I would have put the Warriors in the playoffs before the season, and I, I think if you ask me again right now, they're they're certainly on the outside looking in for me. Yeah, I mean, there are three 0-3 teams right now, Washington, Detroit, and Chicago, and I include Golden State in that, even though they won against Chicago. Because um, uh, in non-garbage time, they have a minus 18 net rating, which is beyond awful. Um, that seems high. That, that's, I mean, that's that's only slightly better than the Grizzlies without Morant, to put it in context. Um, and you're right, Draymond hasn't played Wiggins, who very terrible, but they their roster just isn't that good like i'm i've been relatively impressed with wiseman he looks good but wiseman's again he's not gonna be the guy that like saves the season for them um everyone else has to play good and then whatever you get from wiseman's kind of a boost and again like you can't really how much can you trust damian lee and toscano anderson and Mulder and baysmore doesn't even play for this team really so i think um at this point, I'd be like legitimately shocked if if they made the playoffs because they look as bad as I mean, they look as bad as they did last year, honestly. So where do we go wrong with the Warriors? And maybe you were a little lower than I was, but where where did I go wrong? Like what what part of 
this team was I was I too confident in like Curry's ability to carry a roster like this or you know I mean if, if Ubre and Wiggins are giving them more do we think totally differently um you know I think we just didn't put enough thought into Wiggins being probably the second offensive option on this team and what that would mean for yeah. a franchise because that happened already with like Towns and Wiggins and those teams were mm-hmm. always awful and um you know, Ubre isn't, again, none of these guys are this bad, right? Steph is only shooting 38% from the field, 26% from three. But maybe, I mean, just maybe he isn't the kind of guy that's going to raise your floor as much as we thought he might. Well, that's where I want to go next. So this Warrior, like we're trashing this Warriors roster, and rightfully so. With that said, I think if you put LeBron, Kawhi, James Harden, Kevin Durant on this roster, Giannis, I think this team looks a lot better and probably makes the playoffs in either conference. Do you disagree with that? Um, I think they would be better with those guys. I agree with you on that. I'm still not sure they'd 100% be a playoff team. They would with LeBron, and they probably would with Harden. Um, mm. The thing is, Curry gives you almost nothing defensively, right? right. And um, yeah, it's still tough. I mean, if... Again, if, if if Giannis was on this team, they would they would just pack the paint, right? I mean, you, yeah. there's no one on this team. I mean, team he, al- they, he almost was on this team. Narrow miss. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I don't. I really don't know. I really don't know. It's just it's not looking great right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the flip side of that question too then is inevitably, and it, it's already happened to some level. Um, does this ultimately affect how Curry is viewed? Because I think the early part of his career, you know, I'm talking like when they were still wearing like the Baron Davis uniforms, nobody even thinks or thinks about that or remembers that. That seems like a completely different lifetime. But obviously it's been smooth sailing with the exception of last year. And you you get the injury pass for that year. And it's starting, it's starting to look like this is probably what would have happened last year without Clay because they looked, they looked this bad and then Steph got hurt and it kind of cut the cord and, and that was it. And now they're just kind of picking up where they left off after those first two or three games last season. I mean, for me, I, I don't think it ultimately really changes how, how people view Curry in like a historical context. But at the same time, I'm, I'm a pretty strong believer that, you know, the other top two to four players in the league would, would do a lot better with this roster. And, and, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily a knock on Curry to say that you can't carry an entire team of bad players. Um, but I, I think he's more of a... I guess like a ceiling raiser than he is a guy who can just automatically get you to, to 500 or above. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, we've just really never seen him the first year he made an all-star team. Thompson was there. David Lee was third in minutes. Harrison Barnes was fourth. Iggy was fifth, but that team is clearly better than this team. Uh, oh yeah. And it's just tough. Cause you're, I mean, you're asking a lot from him. He's, he's 32. And he has a ton of playoff minutes on him. You know, he's he's played, I'm trying to see here, he's played 112 playoff games, 4,200 playoff minutes. So, like, um, you know, over a season's worth, close to a season's and a half worth of playoff minutes, and those minutes are tougher, obviously, and that's all back to back to back. It's just year after year. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot. So uh, it, it's not surprising, I guess, to see him, struggle yeah. early on when you're asking him to just do everything himself the real winner here is clay I, I think he comes out looking extremely valuable because i mean this team obviously is worse and i, I think the other thing is 
the, the the competency level of the depth. Like nobody's nobody's claiming that 35 year old Leandro Barbosa was like secretly the key to the Warriors dynasty, but they just had they had the perfect mix of like high IQ veterans. Like Sean Livingston could not shoot at all, and yet was incredibly valuable for that team for like three straight years. And I, I think you you could argue that you have like more versatile and maybe even more talented bench guys now. And you know they're not the greatest bench mob in the world, but you know I, I think that like the basketball IQ level and Curry basically said this. I, I think it was after the Christmas Day game that the entire team needs to raise its basketball IQ. And unfortunately, I don't think that's something you can just do. I don't. I don't. I think that's one of those things that's just kind of ingrained in you. You can improve it, but I don't think you can go from having a 20 basketball IQ to having an 80 basketball IQ just by talking about something, you know, in a practice session. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do remember a bunch of quotes coming out from like Curry and uh, Kerr, and I think even Draymond said he's. Just, they're just they're saying like none of these like we don't know what we're doing out there basically. Like we yeah. as a collective unit are just not doing anything right the way we should. The passes aren't there, and obviously this is. The Warriors made their entire dynasty off of um, basically just like IQ plays, right? Basically just like options. Uh, yeah. You cut or you don't. And there's a lot of handoffs or, you know, fake dribble handoffs and um, stuff like that. Insane off ball movement. And if you if you don't have that personnel that knows how to do that, you're just going to struggle. So I think that's, that's kind of just what's happening. They don't have those those players. Mm-hmm. Hey, NBA fans, Owner's Box is here to reinvent the way you play fantasy sports this season. Owner's Box is not DFS. They're the first ever weekly fantasy sports platform to combine the best elements of daily and season-long fantasy. Owner's Box is a head-to-head elimination-style format that keeps players engaged through live snake drafts and a new layer of strategy that allows you to become the ultimate fantasy GM. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. On Owner's Box, users can brand themselves and engage socially on the platform in multiple different ways, add friends, create custom leagues, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Users are able to draft a new team every single day and participate in different types of contests to keep the fantasy experience fresh and fun so you're never out of the game. To tip off the NBA season, if you sign up free now, Owner's Box will match your first deposit up to $500. Think you got what it takes to be a weekly fantasy GM? Visit ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your bonus and make a name for yourself today. Elsewhere, Zion Williamson and and Giannis. I want to lump these two in together. It's not looking good at the free throw line for either of them. Uh, Giannis had the the high-profile miss, of course, on opening night against Boston. Uh, And then he, what is he now on the year? Um... I'm looking at the wrong thing. Oh, William. So Zion is 15 of 26 at the line. Uh, that's that's sub 60 percent. Giannis is at um, just north of 58 percent on the year. And that's at 12 attempts per game. Zion's also near the league lead. Um, Giannis is also one of eight from three over the last two games. A couple of air balls in those misses. Um, I mean, with Giannis, it's, it's like obviously he can be super effective and arguably the best player in the league while being a 50-50 free throw shooter and a, a non-factor from three. But it, where it looked like for the last couple of years, I think before last year, that it was everything was trending in the right direction development-wise. And it still is, of course. But I, it, it does seem like he's kind of hit a plateau with the jump shot. And I it, I don't know that it's a given that he's ever going to get back to being like a 75 to 80% free throw shooter. And as of right now, I mean, the three-point shot 
he's still going to have nights where he'll go like three of seven or, or even like four of nine, but it, it doesn't look like it's any more of a weapon for him, like confidence wise than it was last year. No. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a concern at this point. I think, um, it, it's just a lot of those times where you like, you watch and he takes a three and you're just like, what? Like, you're just wondering like, why is this happening? Like, do we, yeah. especially if it's early in the shot clock, and he always takes them as like pull up threes, right? Like Giannis doesn't take a lot of catch and shoot threes. Like I think they should try to use him in the corner more. That'll never happen. Because uh, I think if you used him in the corner and he would be a great, like imagine Giannis on a backdoor cut or putting him in the, the dunker spot more. And like, right. I'm, I'm still someone who thinks it'd be better to use him as more of a traditional big than trying to use him more like a guard or a wing, um, more pick and rolls, more dunker spots more post-ups the problem is he also is not good at posting up he can't make a hook shot to save his life he doesn't have any footwork that's another problem like obviously he's great and we're you know we're we're picking on him because he's great right Uh, yeah but he didn't nothing looks improved almost nothing it's almost like he continues to like double down on what he's good at and just gets better at those things but hasn't really added to the toolbox all that much yeah like his euro steps and although he he's he hasn't fixed the charges either Right. He, he's committing right. four turnovers a game. And I think three or the three of those are just like offensive fouls. Like he would never turn yeah. the ball over if he never offensive fouled anybody. Yeah. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis off to a hell of a start so far. Three double doubles, one triple double in three games. Uh, another guy who's been a liability at the line. He's 15 of 26. Uh, traditionally, he's been OK, kind of mid to low 70s. Um, so a little bit below his average. Maybe that comes up. But. Four of nine from three. Um, and I, I did. I ran the numbers, and he'd taken over eighty or only eighty-four threes in his previous two years. So that's one hundred thirty-six games. So he's he's well on pace to take you know two or three a game this year. And he came out and he took like two or three in the first quarter of their first game. Um, so it's clear that that's a point of emphasis. And you know, fantasy-wise, with him, like the lack of defensive numbers are are always the biggest drawback. But if he can start mitigating that by giving you one and a half threes per game, like that's pretty huge. I agree. He was a 32% three-point shooter before this season. Um, so it's like it, he has it, right? Like it's solid. It's just as good or if not better than Giannis, at least. And he's a better free-throw shooter. Um, I really like what Indiana is doing right now. Um, their new coach, is it Bjorkren? Is that how you say his last name? That's, that's um, what I've been saying. I haven't really, really been saying it a whole lot, but if I would, yeah. <laughs> he's really modernized the offense. Right now, they're first in um, expected field goal percentage or you know, based on like where they shoot their shots, they're almost last in like long mid rangers. Um, they've cut those basically in half from last season. They're running in transition a lot more. It's just it's it's a better offense. They're still not going to be great defensively, I don't think. But uh, Miles Turner is at least racking up a lot of blocks. And so I think I think Indiana is legit. I don't think, you know, I mean, 24 points, uh, you know, 11 boards, seven assists for Sabonis would be insane. Because uh, that's again, that's like basically Giannis numbers without the blocks, right? Um, right. But if he can average close to that, I wouldn't be too surprised since they're picking up the pace a little bit. I'm with you. They they look very legit. I, I think uh, despite bringing back historical roster continuity, um, I mean, like literally no other team in recent history has had as many guys back or as many minutes back as they do. It, it all felt like it was kind of forced. You know, you, you bring you basically fire a guy who is in conversation for coach of the year. You bring in a new coach. You know, there's reports that 
one, you know, one of your main pieces might be traded. One of your other main pieces wants to be traded and then decides that he doesn't want to be traded. Like it just, there's a lot of smoke going into the season for them and they seem like they've just kind of been able to pick up where they left off. And I, I don't think I feel any differently about their ceiling though. That's, that's kind of the rub here. It's like, I think they could maybe maybe they'll get a higher seed than I thought that they would. But at the same time, I still can't picture them beating like one of the truly elite teams in the East in the playoffs. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to Oladipo, who has looked pretty yeah. good so far. Um, too good, yeah. honestly. But uh, yeah, suspiciously yeah. good. Suspiciously good. But with, you know, with him, Brogdon and Sabonis, they have basically three all stars or two and a half all stars or however you want to phrase it. So. They're they're clearly a good playoff team, but I agree with you. Their ceiling is is relatively low. Um, I think on paper, you know, you'd say they're comparable to someone like Miami if if Oladipo gets back to his his normal self. Um, uh-huh. And obviously, we saw what Miami could do. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, and I, I think it's it's definitely fair to put it on Oladipo because the rest of these guys just have built-in ceilings, and and obviously he does too to some degree, but. That's that guy who was, a, you know, was he second or third team all NBA a few years ago is still in there somewhere. And I, I don't know that he ever gets quite back to that level. But this is a really good team last year with Oladipo actively hurting the team. And if he can yeah. if he can help you or, you know, possibly even be like borderline all star level, then you're talking about a completely different situation. So I, I still wouldn't I, I don't think I could like see them in the conference finals, I, I, but I shouldn't say they couldn't beat a team. You know, they could they could certainly win a playoff series. You know, if it's a four or five type of matchup, I could see them beating a Toronto or a Boston or or maybe even a Miami. Yeah, I mean, if if Philly can't figure out their issues, you could they could take down Philly. I mean, the East is again, we talked about like um, the East kind of flattened out a little bit during the offseason. Boston got a little yeah. worse. Toronto got a little worse. So Indiana could could definitely sneak in. Yeah. So which of the other three and O teams? We just mentioned Indiana. Uh, are, are any of these legit? The other three are Atlanta, Cleveland and Orlando. I would say Atlanta would be the most legit other than uh, other than Indiana. Um, Cleveland, again, th- I mean, they're shooting 47 percent from three. Extremely unsustainable. I think last year, top three point shooting team was like 38 percent. So they're going to come crashing down. Plus Kevin Love injuries, stuff like that. Um, yeah. Orlando, they're shooting 73 percent at the rim. They have the worst expected field goal percentage in the league. So obviously some of that's going to come back down to earth. Um Atlanta, you know, again, they shouldn't be 3-0 because they're shooting 71% at the rim. They're shooting 70% on corner threes. Not sustainable, but um, I'm, I'm, I was high on them in the, in, during the offseason. I really like their moves. I know it didn't fit perfectly, but they're 3-0 and John Collins is playing like 23 minutes a game or something like that. Capella yeah. missed, I think, the two first games. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I know they played some easy opponents, um, Chicago and Detroit, but I mean... They look good. Yeah, that see, that's the thing with me. Like they've played, they played nobody. Their their third opponent is Memphis, but they've also beat those teams handily. Yeah, you know, it's not like they've squeaked out three wins over those teams. Like they have dominated all three of those teams, and a, a lot of their their metrics are inflated because of that. But you know, I I think if they had played Indiana, Boston, and Milwaukee, they they probably win at least one or two of those games the way that they've played. Um, so long-term, you know, we're going to see, maybe we'll look back and, and the three teams that they played will be the three worst teams in the league and it won't mean anything, but I've been pretty encouraged. And, and honestly, I mean, a lot of the Collins thing is they're, they've just been up by so much that, you know, none of their starters are really playing heavy minutes. Yeah. Collins has played 72 minutes in three games. Gallinari's played 24 and Capella's played 20. 
and they're looking yeah. as good. Trey, I mean, Trey Young's been he's been unbelievable. You know, averaging 34 mm-hmm. points a game on 16 shots, uh, seven assists to three turnovers. You know, he's not going to shoot 15 free throws a game for the whole season. And I think that's what's going to come down ultimately. But, you know, Bogdan, I think he's a good fit for this team. Herders yeah. look like he's still doing well. DeAndre Hunter. I mean, they're they're one of the deepest teams in the league, or at least one of the deepest teams yeah. in the East. And I think they can survive injuries and COVID stuff more than a lot of other teams. Yeah, and they already have. I mean, for one, right. Tony Snell hasn't even seen the floor yet. He's been out. He's still <laughs> out. Um, Rondo just made his debut in their last game. Capella just made his debut. Uh, Gallinari's missed time. I think he's going to miss another game this week as well. Um, I mean, they're. I think that's part of it right now is that they've they've kind of been able to strike a balance because they've had one or two guys out. Um, you know, in every game. So we're seeing like maybe a little more Herder, a little more Reddish, a little more Hunter than we thought. I do wonder how that happens or how this how this looks when everything tightens up, because, I mean, you can't play 11 or 12 guys, you know, when you have everybody healthy. They, they have 11 or 12 guys who are capable NBA players. Um, but when, when you have Rondo, when you have Capella, when you have Gallinari healthy, who's going to ultimately end up being the odd man out? That's a tough question. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Gallinari rested some games and, um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I don't think Rondo's going to play every game. Solomon Hill's obviously not going to be in the lineup. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think that's something you kind of have as much talent as you can get. And then you worry about it later. You know, obviously they didn't extend John Collins. So he's the one they would be looking to float. But at this point, um, it would be more about, you know, can they consolidate some of these guys, maybe three or four of these guys for one or two uh, other guys that would raise their ceiling more? Because I think right now their floor is relatively high with a ton of players like this, but they need to do something to, I think, to raise their ceiling a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and it looks good so far. I mean, again, we'll, we'll see. Once the competition picks up, I think we'll get a better gauge for their ceiling. I'm with you on Cleveland. I think a hard fall is coming pretty soon here uh, for the Cavs. Orlando, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they're, I, I, I don't think they're going to suddenly improve. They're, they're running it back with basically the same roster. Um, you know, like you said, a lot of it has just kind of been shooting luck for them. Like Terrence Ross has given them some huge games so far. Um, you know, they've, they've had some opponents that have shot really poorly against them. I just like, at least with Atlanta, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe everything they did is working and it's clicking and this could be real. Whereas like Orlando did nothing to reduce this result. So it's hard to, it's hard to like bank on it as being sustainable. Right. Like Fultz is playing really well, um, which I'm happy, I'm happy for him. He's shooting really well from the free throw line, right? He's 92% mm-hmm. from the free throw line. Markel Fultz, yeah. um, still can't hit <laughs> his three. God. <laughs> right. Um, you know, Terrence Ross, I think he's going to take a ton of shots. He's going to get, I, I think so too. <laughs> um, Aaron Gordon still looks bad. Um, or at least not what we thought he could be. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, he's, he's uh, been limited too. I, and they, the, he's, he's kind of in like a, a Brandon Clark situation where they don't put him on the injury report, but then they like sneak in a note that he's on limited minutes. Right. Um, yeah. Paul Anthony has been aggressive, um, has looked all right. I mean, it's, you know, five assists to one turnover. And um, he's been solid. But again, your ceiling is extremely capped with without Jonathan Isaac there. And yeah, yeah, they're going to be good defensively just because they're coached well by Steve Clifford. But their offense is what they're doing is not sustainable at all. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're just like stockpiling wins right now. So when they inevitably like bleed out toward the end of the year, they'll still be hanging around for that eight, nine. I, I think they're firmly in that territory. 
let's look on the flip side, the 0-3 teams, Washington, Detroit, Chicago, uh, and then, like you said, our honorary 0-3 Golden State Warriors. I think these are all pretty legit. I think Washington is the one that stands out to me uh, as the team that I thought would be a lot better. They were without Westbrook in the second half of a back-to-back. I think they lost both of those to Orlando. So so the Magic, you know, partially benefited from not having Russ in that last game. But I, I thought they played Philly really tough on opening night. That was, that was a game that I watched almost in full. And they led for three and a half quarters and, and looked like the better team for most of that game and then just completely gave it away at the end. I think fantasy-wise, the big takeaway is that Westbrook and Beal can coexist statistically. Like, it, it hasn't led to wins, obviously, and it's, it's been a little clunky. I mean, Westbrook was pretty critical of his own performance after that second game. But, I mean, he's putting up his usual, like, you know, 19 points, 14 rebounds, 12 assists type of games. He's had two big triple-doubles so far. And, and Beal's averaging 33 points a game through three games. So they're, they're kind of doing their own thing, but it, it just hasn't really produced the right results yet. It hasn't, and Bertans has been on a minutes restriction, um, which is sort of important to note, but it probably won't swing their season, right? Um, as of right now, yeah, they're 0-3. Westbrook missed a game, and, uh, you know, they just can't guard anybody. That's the problem. They have nobody to guard anybody, and, they're I mean, they're actually shooting better than expected, which is kind of problematic. Um, a lot of that's mid-rangers, but that's what happens when Westbrook's on your team. You just end up with a ton of mid-rangers. Right. So... Yeah, I mean they're they have the most talent of the of these 0 3 teams. Uh, they're just going to have to win every game with them is just going to be a shootout, which is I guess what we expected. How concerned are you about Boston? They're one and two. That win did come over Milwaukee, which which is a good win, uh, but they in the early going have the worst defense in the NBA, a 118.6 defensive rating uh, according to Basketball Reference. Their net rating is minus 9.4. Part of that is getting housed by the Nets. You know, that's just kind of how it works. Um, but they they just have not looked great. I mean, not having Kemba Walker certainly doesn't help. They're having to pay or play Peyton Pritchard like 20 plus minutes a game. Uh, probably not ideal right away. Um, and a lot of the depth concerns that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks have, have already kind of come to roost for Boston. But I mean, with the exception of the Milwaukee game and, and that great shot that he hit, you know, to win it at the end, like, I've been a little disappointed in Tatum, like the, like the shot selection, the play style. Like it, it, it does seem like he's kind of reverted to a lot of hero ball with, with some of these possessions. And, and I think that's hurt them. Tatum right now through three games, 9.33 point attempts per game, 1.3 free throw attempts per game. Yeesh. He has shot four free Yeesh. throws uh, in three games. And so sort of unsurprisingly, the Celtics, which this is kind of what they were last year, but they're taking the second most mid-rangers in the league right now. That's the third most yeah. long mid-rangers, fourth most floaters. Um, so like they are extremely reliant on hitting mid-range jumpers, which again, creates a ton of variance. And again, like I don't like I like Jalen Brown. He's a solid player. I don't think I want him taking 21 shots a game. Uh, and, you know, if, if Jeff Teague again, Jeff Teague's only seeing. 23 minutes a game and mm-hmm. you know marcus smart's also only taking eight shots a game so there's like almost no one on this team that's confident enough or can even find their shots um which is which is certainly a problem i would put toronto kind of in the same boat as well uh, the raptors have only played two games so they're you know there's a little bit less of a sample but um for a team that's been just so steady and always seems to beat the teams that it should beat over the last couple of years, I, I think their start's been a little a little concerning. 
A little bit. Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely worried uh, about them, but at the same time, like I I don't know. They they they're a team that doesn't have a ton of room for error still. Yeah, they're playing their starters huge minutes. Yakum's 41 minutes a game. Lowry is 37 minutes a game. Ananobi is still only taking eight shots a game, so you're not getting a ton of offense out of him. You're splitting minutes with Baines and Boucher, which is like I don't mind that at center. That's that's perfectly okay. Um, yeah, I think the I, honestly I think the main thing is you're getting literally nothing out of Norman Powell right now, um, right. who is played 41 minutes and is two of 16 from the field. And that's someone who shot like Powell was, a, I think, the 60th ranked fantasy player last year. Like, he was really good. Yeah. And if you're getting nothing from him, that creates some issues because you're going to have to play a lot of Matt Thomas then. Yeah. And that creates other issues, uh, especially defensively. So they need to just get more out of him. And Ananobi, I think, needs to just be a little more aggressive um, with his offense. Yeah, hasn't been a great start for Siakam either efficiency wise. I mean, he's three of 12 from three. Uh, like you said, Ananobi's two of 10. Baines is two of eight. Powell's one of six. Uh, Van Vliet was not good in the opener. He was much better in their second game. Yeah, I, I think they'll be fine long-term. I think Boston will be fine long-term as well. Um, but a, a few alarm bells. Like Toronto, I, I think, has only taken like 26 total free throws through those first two games. Second worst offense in the league in those two games behind only Golden State. Um, just just uncharacteristic start from Toronto. And I, again, I think they will be fine. Like, I, I think this is what people expected after Kawhi left, not after Marcus All and Serge Ibaka left. Like, to me, those were those are big losses, but they weren't they weren't like monumental type of losses that that throw off your entire team. No, um, I mean, Ibaka is playing really well with with yeah. the Clippers right now. So maybe that is a bigger loss than than we you know are kind of the thing is. It was funny because everyone in the offseason is like, this is such a huge get for the Clippers. This is massive. And no one was like, man, this is a huge loss for Toronto. So I was kind of wondering <laughs> how that point. worked. Um, so maybe maybe that is going to be a problem for them. That is a great point. Although I think the Clippers like really needed him more than Toronto needed him. You know, like I, it was basically just we need somebody that's going to play any amount of defense at this spot because clearly Montrezl Harrell was, was not interested in doing that. Um, all right. We have a few more minutes. Where where are you standing with your fantasy teams? Who are some guys that you're you're worried about, or a few guys that you're invested in that you feel good about? I, I believe you own Kyle Anderson in the stake league, right? I do. Um, I dropped a DeAnthony Melton for him, so that's kind of a trade risky. one. Risky. Ri- well, yeah, it was because now Morant is injured. Uh, right. But Melton, you know, who knows with COVID protocols? But yeah, I snatched up Anderson. I was I didn't even really. You know, I didn't bid that much for him. My main issue in the stake league, uh, which is a 14-teamer, eight cat for people who who don't know, um, is I have Carl Anthony Towns, uh, who is out uh, for quote unquote weeks. But I also uh, grabbed Nas Reed, who I think I beat out uh, someone by like two dollars for him. So I'm hoping to survive. Um, I have Doncic, I have Sabonis, Drummond, Barrett, Julius Randle. It's not an amazing team, but it's 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 doing okay how about you do you have any like disasters so far a couple disastrous starts but it was it's mostly like a confluence of just uh going heavy on like a couple rockets players in one league and just having like weird luck with teams on that only played two games versus three the last few weeks so like i when i checked the standings on sunday i was like oh my god what have i done but uh, I, th- I think i'll be okay i mean i don't i didn't come away like in love with almost any of my teams this year um, I'm instantly regretting passing on Harden in NFBKC. Uh, th- th- it was bad timing with the draft. The draft was happening 
right as like the photo came out, like his stock was at an all time <laughs> low as I was on the clock making that pick. Um, but he's obviously looked really good. We haven't even talked about Houston. I don't know. I mean, I, I have love in that league. I have love in another league. So that's, that's tough because one of, one of the leagues in which I have love, I was like already short on like power forward eligible players. So I'm starting Nemanja Bialica now. Did not plan on having to do that, but that's kind of the way it goes, um, especially with the timing of the love injury. Didn't really have like the opportunity to grab anybody this week. Um, so that's been pretty disappointing. Um, but at the same time, then you see, you know, I don't own Morant anywhere. I only have Towns, I think, in the in the keeper league, so it's not quite as damaging in that type of format. Um, so lucky to avoid those so far. I'm also glad I avoided Jimmy Butler, who's not playing tonight, could very well sit out tomorrow on a back-to-back, only played like nine minutes on Christmas. Like I, I know he's dealing with an injury, but I just feel like this is going to be like a full load management season for him. Yeah, I was kind of worried about that. He's he's hurt a lot of times anyway. Um, yeah, I'm surprised. I, I mean, out of PKC, I'm doing all right. I think I'm 52nd in the whole thing right now. Um, nice. But I do have Kevin Love and Draymond Green, which will be an issue. Um, yeah. Another one of my issues is I did not start for on Dragic this week, but I did pick up Kyle Anderson in that league. Um, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you, you're in a good position if you felt that you didn't need to start Goran Dragic because on my team, that would have been a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, uh, not bad. I uh, That's the thing when you do multiple drafts on multiple sites. I was uh, I should I should have been more vigilant of the positional eligibility on a couple leagues. I will say that for sure. That's on and that's 100 percent on me. Yeah, somewhere that's that's an important point, because I know on like NFPKC, no one was guard forward eligible, but some people were forward center eligible. And right. some of the centers were odd. Like I got Robert Covington. I picked him pretty early because he was qualified at center. So I grabbed him yeah. at like, you know, in the, in the fifth round or the sixth round or something like that. And that's super smart, too. Just having like even if Covington doesn't have a great year, just having like a competent player who's always going to be in the lineup instead of having to start Bielitsa one week or having to start Grayson Allen uh, during week one in some leagues. Yeah, it's uh, it's going all right. It was a tough fantasy football season. I'm hoping to to kind of make up for it in, in fantasy basketball, but but we'll see. How are, how are your best ball teams looking? Uh, I only checked, I think, at the end of last week or on Friday or something like that. I have one. I think that's in second place, and the rest are kind of middle of the pack. Nothing's a complete disaster right now. Okay. All right, we got about a minute left. Um, has anything changed in terms of your season-long predictions after less than one week into the season? Has anything been drastic enough that you forced to to reconsider? Oh boy, um, I don't, I don't really think so. Um, I'm, I'm trying to like think about every team right now. I'm looking through. I mean, the Pelicans, they're two and one. I don't know if that's real or not. Um, I still don't really like their team, but they're kind of getting it yeah. done somehow. Yep. Yeah, I feel the you? same way. They're, they're, yeah, they're kind of the team that I was really low on, and I thought they would just get run out. And like the things that I'm concerned about, they seem to have shored up, but now they have other concerns. I don't know. I, I still don't like the roster either. Like they're, they're making the Bledsoe thing work for now. I, I have my concerns about that long term. The biggest positive is Zion has played 38 minutes in both of the last two games. So you know, if he was, if he was like already gimpy with something or was mysteriously playing 29 minutes and staying long stretches in the second half, I'd be a lot more worried. Like the fact that he's just fully cleared, I think is huge for them. It is. It is. And he, you know, again, he's got to fix his free throw percentage or it's going to yeah. be rough. And, you know, Bledsoe is not playing very well, but yeah, him and him and Adams is a weird combo. Yeah. All right. 
we'll conclude it there. I'll be back with James on Wednesday. You'll be back on Thursday. Uh, that'll bring us into the new year. And, you know, by then it'll already be, I guess, what, week three of the fantasy season next time you and I talk. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.